Am I good? There we go. Cool. I must have fidgeted with it or something. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, and I, I'm excited to bring the word to you this morning. It's been a little while since I've, I've gotten to, to bring a message now. And, and I'm excited to look at this passage. We're going through the last chapter in the book of John, John 21. And to, to precursor this, we are taking a short break on the fruits of the Spirit. We've been doing this sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, celebrating Easter, we have now looked at what's next. Last week we went through John 20, and this week we are looking at John 21. Now, when we first look at this chapter, it's kind of odd. It's, if, when you first look at it, it seems almost unnecessary. Um, John 20 ends by, he, he writes by saying in verses 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other things which the disciples were witness to, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. And so that seems like the end of the book, right? You know, Jesus has died. He's, he's been resurrected. He's appeared to the apostles. And, and John sums it up very nicely. And that's the end, right? Except, no, he dives into another story about Jesus. And so at first glance, it seems rather unnecessary. But this chapter is vitally important. It's so important for us individually and for the, for the future of, of ministry as a whole. And for us to understand, we have to understand the context. This chapter is going to focus on the disciple Peter. Now, the last time we saw Peter, he had done what? He had denied Jesus three times. Jesus had been captured. He had been brought before the Sanhedrin, the council, and, and Peter was afraid for his life. And he denied Jesus. He denied even knowing Jesus three times. Now, the next book of the Bible after John is the book of Acts. What's happening in the book of Acts? Well, the church is beginning. The disciples are out during their, their, the work to, to spread the, the news that Christ is risen. And the first 12 chapters are largely Peter preaching and teaching. And so without something in between, we would have no confidence to look at Peter in what he's preaching and teaching, uh, because the last time we saw him, he denied Jesus. And, and so we need this chapter. This chapter is, is very important, because what we are about to see is Peter restored to Jesus. Jesus is going to work in Peter to bring him back to himself and to return him to the commissioning that he had given him before, which was, on this rock I will build my church. So let's pray before we take a look at the scripture. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, that all, all we do here, let it be for your glory and your purposes. Lord, do in us what this scripture was meant to have do in us. Convict us, challenge us. I pray that you would just have your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Um, quick note, Sea of Tiberias is the same as the Sea of Galilee, for those of you that care about the details. Um, it's the same thing. See, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, 
Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Let's pause right there for a second. As, as we look at this, we might be going, Gee, this sounds really familiar. Um, and it should because uh, we have another account very similar to this. Uh, where uh, three years ago, Jesus was calling his first four disciples, and one of those was Peter. And this account can be found in Luke 5, and it's, it's almost the same scenario. Peter and his buddies are out in a boat. They're fishing. They're trying to do their profession, what they've been trained to do, and, and they're professional fishermen. And along comes this preacher... And he says, have you caught anything? Nope. Put down the net on the other side of the boat. And whenever I imagine this, I just imagine a thought bubble with dot, dot, dot in it. Like that would have been my reaction as I, as I look at this preacher man uh, saying, put down your net seven and a half, eight feet away from where you were already fishing for a long time and not catching anything. Like, that doesn't really make any sense uh, and, I, like, my reaction would have been, are you serious? But, but when we see it, Peter says, uh, well, we haven't caught anything. We've been fishing all night. But because you say so, Lord, I will do what you say. It's a great response to, to Jesus in, in any circumstance. I don't get it, but because you say so, okay. What happens? They catch a bunch of fish. So much that their nets were, were practically breaking and they, they were beginning to sink as they brought fish into their boats. And when Simon Peter saw it, he does what? He falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Get away from me, because I'm a sinner. Why would he, why would he say this? Because, because... He recognizes this is no ordinary person. I, it starts with, I'm Peter, I'm a great fisherman, you're just some, some preacher in my boat, and now all of a sudden, I'm a sinner, and you're the Lord. I see how bad I am because of how great you are. When I look at, when I see you, I see myself, and just how sinful I am. Get away from me. You, you, you shouldn't be around me. You're, you're going to get tainted by me. That's what Peter is doing. And, and have you ever felt this way? I have. God, I'm too, I'm, I'm too gross. I'm, I'm, not, I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve to be in your presence. God, just get away from me because I, I, I'm such a sinful person. How arrogant. How arrogant in our sin that we're, I'm somehow worse than anybody else, that I am going to be the thing that 
makes God, that God can't do his purposes, do his mission through, that I'm, I'm somehow the problem here more than, more than another sinner. And I say, get away from me. But now, now when the exact same thing happens three years later, they recognize Jesus saying, it is the Lord. Let's pick up in verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Now notice the difference between Luke 5 and now. Jesus called Peter. Peter says, get away from me, for I'm a sinner. Now Peter can't get to Jesus fast enough. He's diving in. He's swimming as fast as he can just to get to Jesus. And this is the beginning of something really cool in this passage. Um, For a Jewish man to dive into the water and to go, go swimming to the shore is actually very unique. Jewish men were never supposed to be seen in a hurry, supposed to have their affairs in order. Uh, that's why uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, when it says the father went running after his son, when he saw his son coming in, we, we recognize that this is something very special. Likewise, with Peter jumping into the water, this wasn't supposed to happen. Jewish men were never supposed to be in a hurry. They were supposed to have their affairs in order. And now Peter doesn't care. He's going to look like an idiot to his buddies, but he doesn't care. He's like, I got to get to Jesus and I got to get to him now. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Um, I don't know why, but somebody counted. (laughs) It's like the way I picture it is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Hold on, Jesus. 11, 12, 13, 14. Uh, Just a minute. Be right right with you. 1920. 153 of them. I, I have no idea why this was recorded. Uh, there might be some significance to it, but sometimes I think we get too caught up in the details of things. So I just find it funny. Um, Twelve. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who, you, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so were the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Lord of the universe, God of everything, cooking them breakfast. This is significant. In ancient times, uh, in this culture, to eat with someone meant intimate fellowship. Now, uh, Now, we might not recognize this so much culturally, but it's still very much a part of who we are. Uh, it's, there's still a bond that we share. Um, if I take somebody out on a first date with them, I'm going to take them out for coffee, share a beverage with them. There's a bond that's shared there. Uh, if, if, you're getting, if you're trying to bond with family, you have a family dinner together. 
You haven't seen a friend for a long time. Hey, let's go out and grab a bite to eat. There's a bond. There's an intimacy here, especially when we consider that Peter has just denied Jesus. And now here Jesus is offering him food that he has prepared. It's, a, it's, it's forgiveness. Jesus in this moment is saying, hey, Peter, I want to spend time with you. I want to share a meal together with you. I want us to be close. One more detail to pay attention to. Jesus had them add their fish to his, which I find interesting because uh, Jesus doesn't need their fish. He already had fish cooking. Um, and then he asked them to add their fish to his, uh, and also consider that this is the person who multiplied a few fish to feed 5,000 people. So he clearly doesn't need their fish. So the little side sermon here is, uh, God doesn't need your fish, but he will use them. He wants to use them. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now, some people have asked the question, Why does Jesus do this in front of the other disciples? Why why is he confronting Peter in front of his buddies? Uh, Peter has been hurting. He's been discouraged. He, he knows that he uh, 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 denied Jesus. And why, why is Jesus doing this? And, and, and the answer is no. He's not trying to just embarrass Peter in front of his buddies. Uh, we know this for a couple of reasons. Because one is that he had a private meeting with Peter before this. Scripture alludes to this in, in uh, Luke 24, when they are, we have this scene on the Emmaus Road, and the disciples are coming along. There's, there's two men coming along, and they run into the disciples. And the disciples say, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, to Peter, Simon Peter. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that Jesus was died, he was buried, He was risen, appeared to Peter, then the twelve, and then also to five hundred. So he has already met with Peter before this. They have had a private meeting. Now, another thing about this moment on the lakeshore, and I would say this. This is a chance for Peter to be reconciled to Jesus with people who love him, who can come around him who can support him, and who can also verify that, yes, Peter has repented. 
This will be important for his ministry going forward. Charles Spurgeon, the the theologian, has said, a man's repentance should be as notorious as his sin. Someone who repents should not be just private about their repentance. It should be known. Peter denied Jesus publicly, so Peter is now getting a chance to infirm Jesus three times in front of his friends. That, yes, Lord. Yes, I believe. I love you. Now, another thing that happens here is that Jesus and Peter engage in some wordplay. And this, this wordplay is very important. Just a forewarning, we're going to get into a little bit of a Greek lesson. Um, and we have to. We have to, because... We cannot understand this passage without uh, looking at the Greek. Um, now, the other thing to understand is that Peter is a man of action. He's bold. He's the kind of guy who shoots first and asks questions later. Remember, he cut the ear off the soldier when they were trying to arrest Jesus. And he, he just shoots from the hip. That's who Peter is. And, and he can kind of say some things that are a little over the top sometimes. And, and there's one moment before this, the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, um, Jesus says that you're all going to be offended because of me tonight. And, and Peter says, oh, Lord, they might be the other disciples, but I will die for you. And Jesus says, well, you're going to deny me three times before the night is over. Peter believed that he could die with Jesus. In effect, he was saying, I love you more than they love you. So with all that in mind... Now, Jesus and Peter engage in this wordplay. And in the Greek, there are, there are multiple words for love. I know a lot of you probably know this. But uh, for those of you that don't, uh, English is a terrible language. Greek is a far superior language because the Greek understood that there are different kinds of love. And we need words to communicate that. The same word that I use for my affection for pizza, a man would use to describe his wife. I love pizza, I love my wife. Two very different things. Both are true, by the way, if you can't tell. (laughs) Um, So with all that in mind, Jesus and Peter engage in in this kind of wordplay, and they use different words for love. In this moment, um, Peter says, or when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? The word he uses is agapao or agape meaning uh, this 100% divine, self-sacrificing, complete, total, God kind of love. When Peter answers, Lord, you know that I love you, the word that Peter uses is phileo, uh, meaning brotherly love, and an admiration, affection kind of love. So, Peter, do you love me 100%? I'm about 70%. He asks him again, do you agape me 100%? Well, Lord, 70%. The third time Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? He moves from the highest form of love down to phileo love, the word that Peter was using. So now he says, Peter, do you even, do you even admire me? That's why it says Peter is grieved. It wasn't because Jesus was 
asking him the same question multiple times. Actually, within that culture, within a Jewish culture, it was very common to repeat oneself. So that was not why Peter was grieved. So again, the English does a great disservice to this text. Peter was grieved because Jesus said, didn't say agape. He said phileo. So Peter, do you love me 100%? Eh, 70%. Do you love me 100%? 70%. Peter, do you, do you even love me 70%? Do you even really admire me? Now notice what Peter says here. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I admire you. That I have brotherly love for you. He's appealing to Jesus' knowledge of him. Remember that at one point he basically said the opposite. He says, they may all flake out on thee, Lord, but I will die for you. He's saying... You think I'm going to deny you, but you don't know me. Now he's saying, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I admire you. I can't even claim that I agape you. But three times, Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus is entrusting Peter with the most important thing in the world to them. That is his sheep. The reason why he came, the reason why he was nailed on the cross, the reason why he rose again from the dead was for his sheep, to save his sheep. And now he's entrusting Peter with the whole reason why he came, to feed his sheep. And, you know, I think most of us would have understand, I certainly would have, if Jesus is wrapped his arms around Peter and says, you know, I love you, buddy, but man, you really let me down. I don't think I can use you in the same way I once could have. Right? Because that's how our society functions. Three strikes, you're out at the plate. You get three opportunities at the same thing on a job and you fail three times, you're probably going to get fired. says, not only are you a fisher of men, but you are a shepherd of my sheep. I'm commissioning you into service, not just to bring people, but to feed them, to care for them, to, to, to love them. What an encouragement to Peter. And it, it, it has to be an encouragement for us. Because if our failures are what's going to get in the way of us going out and, and loving people and, and feeding, feeding people what they need, caring for them, Man, none of us would be able to, to, to minister to anybody. But it's not about you or me. It's about what Jesus is doing in Peter, and it's about what he's doing in you and me. Boy, if my sins were what kept me from ministering to people, there's no way I could be up here. Same is true for you. God wants to use you. He wants you to go out and love people through the love that he pours out into you as he lights a fire, as he feeds you fish from the fire that he's cooking himself. It's an intimate love that he has for you. And it's because of that that we're called to go and feed sheep. Too often, so many of us go, just 
just get away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm going to ruin your mission. You don't want to use me because I'm too gross, too dirty, too messed up. You can't use me. What? How arrogant of us. An, all, an all-knowing, all-powerful God can't use you? Really? No. Feed his sheep. Feed his sheep. Let's pick up in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So here Jesus is. He's telling Peter how he's going to die. And we might look at that and go, that's a little gruesome. That's a little odd. Why would you say that? But keep in mind that Peter had once said he would die for Jesus. Now Peter's been saying, I don't even know if I can live for you, let alone die for you. This is meant to be an encouragement. Jesus is affirming Peter here. Not only will you live for me, not only will you uh, be a fisher of men, not only will you be a shepherd of my sheep, I will build my church on you on this rock. I will build my church, but you will also die for me, Peter. You will. There's a scene in Acts chapter 12 where uh, Peter is in prison and he's uh, chained between two guards And the order comes from Herod that he is to be killed. And it's really funny to me because if there's one thing you're not going to be able to do if if you know you're going to die the next day, it's probably sleep. Sleep's going to be hard to come by. Um, But in this moment, it says Peter was chained between two guards. And what was he doing? He was sleeping. (laughs) Why? Because he's still a young man. Jesus says, you're not going to die until you're old. (laughs) It's like, well, I'm not going to die tomorrow. Jesus said this, so eh, I'm going to sleep. (laughs) Boy, I hope I can have that kind of faith. (laughs) This is the power of what Christ does for us. I can honestly say that I've denied Jesus far more than three times. And I ask you to be honest with yourself. How many times... Have you denied him? But instead of running from him saying, Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. You can't use me. The power of what Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection is that we are invited to the table with Jesus where he will feed us, he will warm us, he will provide for us, care for us, and ultimately restore us unto himself. And so the invitation is, Go leave that sin at the cross. Leave that sin at the cross. And allow Jesus to restore you unto himself. And then he's going to send you. Go feed his sheep. Are you ready for that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you are a God who invites us to a table where you will care for us but you also want to use us to spread your love to other people. So Lord, I pray that for anyone here, Lord, who is hanging on to 
some way in which they have denied you. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts, that they would leave that behind to be able to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.